What's going on, everyone? Welcome in to another episode of Capturing the Game. It's the Game Within the Game podcast featuring me, your co-host Desmond Jones and Brady. Uh, today, I'm just flying solo today. Brady's unable to make it, but that's okay. We're still going to have a, a extraordinary show today. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind everyone, the listener and all audience and the subscribers that, uh, I mean, that Capturing the Game is sponsored by Capture Sports Agency, uh, where our CEO and founder is Chantel Smith-Jones. Uh, so, now that we got all the introductions out the way, let's get started with our guests. So today I introduce to you a two-time Olympian, the founder and CEO of Athlete Soul. Her name is Miriam Gliz. Miriam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's much appreciated. Of course. Just thank you for your time. So uh, today, are you are you located in France right now or are you in the U.S.? No, I'm I'm in LA actually. I just okay. came back from a two month travel to uh, in Europe, but yeah, just come back. Okay, I know you're a world traveler, right? So I had to you know check your location to see where you was at. <laughs> but uh, Mary, can you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself so that the audience get to get to know who you are? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm origi- originally from France, like you mentioned. Uh, I grew up in a town called Lyon in the south of France. Um, I was a synchronized swimmer for many, many years and competed for the French national team, participated in the Olympics with the French national team at the Sydney Olympics, where I placed fourth. And then I, um, after that, you know, competed uh, for France for another couple of years before I actually had a first retirement um, and attended business school in Paris and then I started working in marketing and sponsorship, uh, moved to Australia with my company and resumed my sporting career and competed for the Australian team this time around in the Beijing Olympics in 2008 and then that was it. Um, So I had a a 25 years career in the sport of synchronized swimming uh, for two different countries, competed in multiple European uh, World Championship, World Cups, um, two Olympic Games, and a few competitions for the Australian team as well. Wow, that's that's impressive. Is it the fact that you're a swimmer and I can't swim, so I'm already think like <laughs> the highest of you right now. So what was your experience like uh, being in, in the Olympics, especially with the Olympics coming up right now? Uh, by the time that this podcast probably airs and the Olympics will already pass, but it's still nice capturing um, like your thoughts going into it. But more importantly, you know, we'd like to hear about your Olympic experience and what was some of those moments like for you? Yeah, I think the, first of all, the Olympics were always a dream that I had as a kid. Um, I think my parents would tell you that I started talking about it when I was like six or seven years old. I even wrote into uh, in a school paper, like in elementary school, that that's what I wanted to do. So it was always that dream. And then when I got there, the first time around was at the Sydney Olympics. Um, it was in 2000, it was pre 9-11. Um, and I think those games were a little bit different than they are now. There was less security. Um, and it was an, an incredible experience that that first game, I think is something you never forget. Um, it was pretty intense for us because 
you know, Australia is the other side of the world. So we had to arrive there like a month in advance to adjust. Um, and then you end up uh, competing. Synchronized swimming is one of the last sports to compete. So you have to stay focused through the whole games and you end up competing at the end. Um, but it was amazing. Uh, it was discovering the country. It was my first experience of competing at this level. Obviously, um, the opening ceremony was amazing, the closing ceremony, and just being able to do that in Australia, which is a country that is completely dedicated to its athlete, um, it was it was just amazing. That, I can only imagine, uh, you know, the, those experience, uh, maybe one day in my lifetime, uh, I'll get the opportunity to experience uh, some of those, uh, the Olympics. Um, just to be able to be a fan and just to be able to, to watch it because I'm sure like the whole atmosphere is amazing just to be able to showcase your talents in front of the world and not just like an arena for, full of fans that are just local to the area. So just uh, I always love just to hear just to get those insights of the, the Olympic experience. And, and you know the um, obviously people want to hear about the the ceremony is an absolute blast, especially if you come from a small sport where you're not used to walking into a stadium and having such audiences, you know, and with so many people. So that was incredible. There is a lot that happens behind the scenes for the ceremony um, mm -hmm. because they have to move basically 10,000 athletes from the village to the stadium and you end up waiting in a, an other stadium before you actually go into the ceremony stadium. Um, so it's a lot of like waiting around. I mean, all in all, you'll probably start preparing for the ceremony at like two in the afternoon. The ceremony starts at eight and you end up walking in the stadium. It's like 10 or 11 p.m. Um, so it's a really draining experience. It's totally worth it. Uh, but definitely if you're competing the next day, not something that you're gonna do. And I remember just coming back from that experience and I was completely drained. And it's not something you even think about in your preparation. Obviously the coaches do, but as an athlete, you never think you're gonna be so tired afterwards. Um, and it is just extremely tiring, but it's amazing that moment you walk into the stadium and you literally feel like one of these gladiators back in the days when everybody's cheering and um, and I just remember like walking onto the stadium and like the screaming, um, the flashes, like the noise, it's incredible. So that was an amazing experience, the, uh, the ceremony. And obviously there's tons of other stuff, the village, uh, the competition itself. Uh, it's uh, for, for the, 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 the three weeks, you're really in a different world. It's amazing. What was your favorite moment for you as being an Olympian? Um, so I think definitely the first time you get to do the ceremony is yeah. fantastic. Uh, that's something I will never forget. Um, the ability to just walk around the village and be able to, to talk to any other athlete in the world. And there are people that you as an athlete admire and have seen on television and that you get to like just walk around with and talk to. And so the camaraderie of the village is incredible. Um, and then 
I really enjoyed the, uh, the competition itself and the moment when we swam, I think we had prepared, especially for Sydney, we had re worked really, really hard. We were uh, fighting for a medal, which we didn't get, but we had a really good swim, probably one of our best swim. And so I think we were pretty happy with the performance. And um, I, I felt pretty good after the, the performance. I felt like I, haven't, I had given everything I could. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like the closing time of, of a four year period. Um, so yeah, the, the, you know, this is all that makes the Olympic experience. Um, and then before that, there's a lot of other things along the way and the journey that makes it incredible as well. Yeah, like I say, I can, I can only imagine right now. What's, uh, so I have to ask this cause I, I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I just don't know that much about it, but you know, what goes um, into your workouts for swimming? Like, how do you prepare yourself for, to compete and, you know, especially in the, in, in the Olympic events, you know, what was like some of your daily workouts or what was some of the, the daily things that you had to do in order to prepare for the Olympics? Yeah, so first of all, you're not the only one that doesn't know anything about synchronized swimming. <laughs> I think it's the majority of people. Um, and it's actually been renamed um, Autistic Swimming. So if people are uh, watching this this year, this time around, it's got a new name. Um, so the training is uh, very intense, lots of long hours, actually. It involves, there's different things that happen throughout the year. Obviously, like any other sport, we do something different in the off season. Um, but generally, there's a, a lot of just speed swimming for endurance, but also uh, speed of stroke and uh, speed of move, movement in the pool. Um, the touch and the feel of the water. There's a lot of gymnastic and it's going more and more towards that. So the land training is pretty similar to a mix of gymnastic and rhythmic gymnastic. Um, so strengths for acrobatics, um, core for the movement and a lot of flexibility combined with strengths for any of the more flexible moves. Um, and that could be a regular thing like every day a few hours just dedicated to land work um, basically any of the moves that you do in the pool you should be able to do outside of the pool so you want to strengthen those first before you can get them in the pool because once you're in the pool it's doing the same thing but with no no support no hard um, surface to push from right um, and then in the pool it's a lot of uh, repeating uh, the routines uh, over and over, either whether it's the, the duet routine, which is two people, or the team routine, which is eight people. So you usually break down each pieces of the routine and just repeat this until uh, the patterns are correct. So the formation around the surface, the acrobatics above the water are correct. The synchronization is perfect between either two or eight people and with the music. Um, so there's a lot of like specific training that happened and then just overall, um, you know, lots of cardio in the off season and then lots of uh, interval training uh, in pre and, and early season. That's, it, sound, it just sounds like a lot of work and a lot of dedication. What, 
made you um like what drove your like your drove your passion for swimming so uh believe it or not um i don't come from a family of swimmers um we are very much mountain people all my cousins are skiers uh everybody is kind of from the mountain so it wasn't really a water background. I was always quite uh, comfortable and passionate uh, about the water as a kid. But then I saw uh, synchronized swimming on TV and uh, I told my mom, this is what I wanted to do. And that's how I ended up um, starting the sport. In Europe, the sport is much more popular than it is in the US. So sure. major competition will be, uh, tele they will be on TV. Um, I think I saw a European championship or something like that. And uh, yeah, I joined, I joined the local club. I think I was like five or six. And then I, I pressed on afterwards. I was um, doing lots of uh, uh, cross country running at the time, which really doesn't really cross over. Um, and then eventually just uh, dedicated all my time to the swimming. Look, I just wish that I, uh, my parents wanted me to learn how to swim uh, when I was young. At least that way I wouldn't be struggling with trying to learn how to do it now. So no, but it's always good, curious just to hear people's like uh, passion and what drove them or what, you know, made them tick for their actual individual sports. You know, some people just did it for the love. Some people saw it, like, as you mentioned, you saw it on TV and you said, that's what I wanted to do. And just to hear about people that go out and do or chase after what they, uh, what they dream of and what they want to accomplish, I find it extraordinary. And it's just, it's just rare to really hear, uh, stories about that and, and just moments. So we just love being able to capture those stories. You are so right because it's uh, it's not easy to figure out early on what you like, and uh, and if you if you have something that you're passionate about, like it was for me, I think just you know diving it, diving into it, and really like doing as much as you want. Um, obviously, as a little kid, you know I would throw and say, hey, I want to go to the Olympics, and you know people didn't really believe it. And I don't know if I even believed it myself, but all I knew is I really liked doing this and um, I just wanted to do it every day. Um, so I think it was really quickly that I just, I started going to the, the swimming pool every day and I never really questioned that um, for as long as I was enjoying it, you know? Um, and then as you get into the much higher level and, and perhaps, around like 17 or 18 years old, that's where sometimes I had questions around motivation, but any anytime before that, there was never a question because I was just having fun um, and I just wanted to keep going. What's the biggest advice that you can probably give to athletes or just people in general that's trying to chase after their dream or just chase after something that they're passionate about? I think, my first advice is try as many things as you can, um, see what sticks and see what you enjoy um, and maybe what you have a talent for. Uh, and then, you know, pursue that uh, and never stop dreaming. Like he, he, if you just keep going and keep working at it, um, you know, you, you'll get somewhere and it will open a lot of doors. 
but the first step is is to try stuff. You've got to try stuff. You've got to uh, and to persevere when it gets a little bit harder. Um, and obviously, there's different advice. There's different advice at different stages. You know, once it once it gets harder, you you want to learn to enjoy uh, the little wins, and you know, you set that bar a little bit further every day. But that way, you know that you're still progressing. So stop. You know, don't look at the at the end goal, but look at the end of the week and make that goal, and then move on to the next one. I think you mentioned a lot of great things. Uh, one was to never stop dreaming. I think so many people are afraid to dream and some people are just discouraged to dream because maybe their first dream failed. And um, I think that there's things to learn from 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 the moments of, of failures. Who I call, I look at them as, as lessons. And the other thing that you, you mentioned was just to try things. So many people um, may be afraid to just try things and um, just kind of set out path because they just want to kind of stick to their bubble, but they never really want to expand and just try different things. Yeah, I think I think trying is just so important and you get to do this as a kid as much as you can. And then maybe you go into a, a more single track to be more proficient at something and then you get the rest of your life to experience again. Um, and so, yeah, just never losing track of, I can always go and try something new and, and learn something again. Um, I think that that's the, man, the mindset because if you are used to trying new things, first of all, you're used to failing because that's what you do when you try new things. You fail a lot, a lot, a lot. And then you get better at failing and um, you kind of stand up again much more quickly than if you are not used to trying something new. And, um, and I think you also lose uh, the embarrassment that a lot of people have about trying new things. Um, I think you lose the, uh, the ridicule and, or, or being afraid of ridicule, you know? Uh, and I think that's important because that reconnects you a little bit to who you were as a kid you know, every kid will try anything and then really, they don't really care about what people think or how they fall That's right. or how they look when they're doing stuff. And uh, I think we miss that a little bit, you know, in adulthood, trying to like reconnect to that spirit, the little kid spirit. Um, so if you try new things all the time, I think eventually you really get closer, closer to that feeling, right? Yeah, I totally agree with that. What's... Um... So your marketing is is in uh, sponsorship. What made you start your company with that? What, what, how'd you get involved with that as well? Yeah, so um, my after my first retirement from sport, I ended up going to a business school in Paris and um, I could only afford to pay for the first year. And so I had to quickly figure out how I was gonna pay for the second two or three years of school. And they had a program that was an apprenticeship where if you were able to find a company that would take you as an apprentice, um, the company would actually pay for the school. So I did my first year uh, normally. And then um, I found this company called Accor Hotels, which is a big uh, hotel company in based in Paris, but they operate all over the world. 
And um, yeah, they were hiring uh, former athletes into a specific program they had. So I applied and I got first an internship um, and then they took me uh, as an apprentice. So the way that program worked where you would work for them during the day and rotate different, between different uh, department of the company and then you would go to school in the evening and complete, complete the business school that way. Um, so at the end of the school, they hired me um, for the, the three years I was working with them during the school, I worked in, in the headquarters in Paris in the communication department, specifically on sponsorship, which was a good segue for me. I ended up seeing the other side of sport. I worked on uh, some of our projects. We were a sponsor of the, the World Track and Field Championship, uh, the French Open of Golf. We worked with the Olympic Committee in France, and we also uh, were a sponsor of the uh, the candidacy of Paris for the 2012 uh, Olympic Games. And then I ended up taking a position with them in Australia uh, in the headquarter uh, for Asia Pacific. And then there I did, I started doing much more work um, on the branding and the marketing of the hotels in the Asia Pacific region. Uh, and then eventually also working on some of their sponsorship. Um, so it was a, a kind of a lucky, uh, draw to be able to work for that company, but also fantastic school because I was able to work in different departments on different projects in different countries. I also worked for them in uh, Thailand. Um, so I saw many different sides of the business um, and they ended up sponsoring me when I came back to the sport and prepared for Beijing. So they were really, really flexible with me and it was fantastic. I, I, there's nothing like having a company that is flexible with you, as, especially with going through, uh, especially when you're deciding to prepare for the Olympics. Uh, what what made you, what, what caused you to retire the very first time? And what made you come out of retirement to participate? Well, actually, uh, we were preparing for the Athens Olympics uh, with my duet partner. And I had been accepted into this business school. The federation and my head coach asked if, um, they basically asked me to choose between going to the Olympics uh, and training full-time for that or attending business school. And I did not want to compromise my future. This was one of the top business school. I didn't want to lose the spot. So I ended up uh, leaving the sport and going to school, which was quite a better decision at the time, but, um, in the end, it was one of the best decisions I've made. Uh, and uh, I was able to go back to the sport. So I, I never thought I would come back to the sport. And I ended up coming back because I had the opportunity to do so. I was offered to do that. And I thought this is a good way for me to uh, regroup, reconnect with my sport in a positive way and choose an ending on my own terms um, after a positive experience. So I was able to do a full circle uh, and have that second retirement after an Olympics like I wanted to do in the first place. No, I'm glad that you was able to finish the way that um, the way that you wanted to. You know, so many times, so many different athletes just do not get the opportunity to do that. And to, again, to, to be able to hear your story, to hear that you was able to finish 
the way and, and go out on your own terms versus, you know, the ultimatum that you was forced with. Uh, it's, you know, it brings kind of joy, joy to my heart that you was able to, to do that. What, um, so you're the founder or CEO of Athletes, uh, Athletes So You want to go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about that? Yes, so I um, started Athletes so a couple of years ago with some other former athletes um, who worked in the space of transition from sport. And uh, we're a nonprofit organization that, that support athlete, uh, retiring athlete to transition away from sport and also raise awareness around the challenges of, of athletic retirement. Um, I think the idea behind the company sort of came from my experience of my own experience of retirement, but also what I've seen in other athletes. And several years ago, there wasn't a lot of support or even talk about the topic of athletic retirement. Um, so we are here to be a support to athletes from a, a peer kind of position. So the organization is run by former athletes. We are all volunteers. We uh, offer educational resources, courses, coaching, individual coaching for, for retiring athletes um, that, that's provided by uh, all former athletes who are professional coaches um, and a lot of networking as well. Um, so I, I think, you know, this is part of a reaction to my own experience, but also seeing that there's not a lot of things available out there for retiring athletes, especially, you know, when the game is over, Nobody really cares about you anymore, and, and that's where we come in. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the reason why we need more uh, organizations or even businesses that kind of helps these athletes transition out of sports because um, a lot of times they are either – it's the first time in their life that they're not focusing their life mm -hmm. around a game or around an activity or a sport. You know, this is almost like – restarting their life over again or restarting the next part of their journey in their life and so with that being said what's some of the the difficult things that you've seen um you know athletes have to do from transitioning from from being in sports every day to adult sports they have to they have to do a lot but it really depends on the situation of each athlete and what we find is that there is a different scenario for each individual that retires. Um, so a lot of the services that we offer are completely customized to where the athlete's at. Uh, but with this idea that we approach the transition from a holistic perspective. So we address all aspects of your life because the reality is when you transition from a sporting career where you either, even in a matter at the highest level of pro athlete, everything that you do in your day is basically designed by your sporting career. Um, so when you transition, there's gonna be a lot of challenges, whether it's your body changes, so physiological changes, social changes, the loss of your network. Uh, the biggest one, definitely the identity crisis and the loss of identity is a big one. Um, so we are really focused on uh, health and wellness in general during your career, developing um, beyond sport, outside of sport to better prepare 
before the transition and then during the transition, also continuing that health and wellness focus so that you can get back on track, you can adjust your nutrition, your sleep, your exercise, but also your daily structure, you can rebuild a social network, and then really have a, a freer mind so that you can focus, okay, what is it I want to do next? What do I like? How do I go and explore other things? How do I try new things? Um, and how do I fail again? Is it okay to fail? How do I figure out my finances? How do you support my family? There's just so many aspects. Um, so we do try to cover all of the aspects and, and we start from the health and wellness sort of the standpoint. For any athletes that are trying to reach out to you to utilize uh, your services, how would one do that? So basically they can visit our website. Um, it's www.athletessoul.org. We have all of the information on the website about what we're doing, the different services that we offer. There is my email address. There is um, a way to sign up for some of our services or athlete membership. I think what's really important for athletes to realize when it comes to Athlete Soul is that everything that we offer to competing athlete and retiring athlete is free. So they can get access to all of the resources for free. And then the individual coaching, when they get to work one-on-one -on -one with a transition coach, we offer scholarship to help cover that cost. So the idea is that no matter your situation, uh, we are here to help you and we want to figure out a way to help you out. And this is available to all athletes. So we don't cover, we don't specifically help a, a, a certain sport, um, any sport, any level from high school to pros or Olympian. Um, we are we are there to help you. Yeah, I'm so glad that I let you mention all that stuff because you know, in case there are audience out there that are seeking help on just trying to figure out what's next for them, you know, I just want to make sure that we offer up that you know there are resources available. Yeah, such and as athletes Mario. can they can contact us when they're still competing. Uh, we have resources for competing athlete, like I said, on the wellness field. But also we have a course uh, that can be that self-based and virtual they can take at any time that helps uh, prepare for the transition, but also learn more about what they can do now um, in terms of health and wellness and developing outside of sport. We have an internship program that's pretty attractive. We've had a lot of uh, student athletes and athletes take our internship program and um, because it's one of the biggest complaints from athletes is they graduate and they, uh, they don't make it to the pro, they get to the marketplace and they realize they don't have enough work experience or they have no work experience. So we help them out with that. And um, this is fully virtual. It, it could fully flexible. So it can be anywhere between 30 minutes of work a week to like a full-time internship. It could be for a couple of weeks to a whole year. It really depends on what they can do in terms of timing and their sporting career. We completely adjust the internship around their sport so that it can fit. Uh, it gives them the ability to contribute to an organization that's very close to what they're doing and to which they are actually the client. So it really helps their input is really important. Um, 
And in addition to that, they get some personal development tools as well. So we give them uh, coaching sessions, access to our course. They connect with other um, athletes from different sport and have like regular conversation. So it's sort of like the start of a, of a community before um, you retire from sport. Uh, that's again it's all useful resources that's available and again i just love the fact that you mentioned everything on this particular platform so that now our future audience and listeners can have you know at least know of resources that they can go and tap into if they're you know struggling to figure out uh, what's next for them to do what's um in your opinion when should athletes start to prepare um, for life after their their sport so I, I like to tell everybody that they should be preparing their whole life uh, for life beyond sport. Um, and I, I like to say beyond sport and not necessarily after sport, because I think one, you know, you've got to continue your education and there's never a point where you should stop that. Um, and then just start, it could be as simple as start figuring out what you like outside of of sport. You know, often I think athletes will grow up and they'll play, they'll play bowls and they'll play like three different types of bowls. Or if you're a, a synchronized swimmer, you'll end up doing like dance gymnastic and swimming and synchronized swimming. And so you're really focusing that sports word and you don't necessarily know a lot of things outside of that. And so trying different things, even during your, your sporting career, even in those years where you have to focus your mind and a lot of hours, just like once a week doing something different, play music, go visit different stuff or um, meet other people, volunteer, anything to sort of like get your mind comfortable with something different and not just athletics. Um, and then definitely continuing your education and then as you get closer, I think that, you know, as you get closer to retirement age for like pro Olympic athletes, like really starting to make connections uh, and develop those connections before you leave the sports world. Cause when, once you're gone, that's it. Um, so yeah, starting to like plant seeds before you retire for sure. Yeah, I think that's the, one of the best tips that you can really give someone just really um start trying different things like we've, we've you know echoed and talk about so much uh, thus far just you know make sure you try different things make sure you try to figure out what you really um like and um so that you you can kind of prepare yourself for you know life beyond sports yeah and, and also i think um up until you know your early 20s i think it's it's okay to be focused on one thing and put all of your energy in the, into this. But as you get older, um, often, and as the, the playing field get narrower and more difficult, you know, that could be a lot of pressure if you have nothing else and if you don't have a lot of balance. And I actually think that in these like sort of second part of your career, uh, you know, in, in your mid twenties and, and on, a lot of athletes would benefit to having more balance, to having more stuff outside of sport, because that will increase uh, the longevity of their career. Um, you know, if you, if you have a family, if you start doing other things, if you, 
start caring for your body in different ways with yoga or meditation, you will realize that it fuels your motivation better, but it also will help you have a longer career, which I don't know any athletes who wouldn't want to have a longer career. Uh, so finding ways to achieve that is positive for everybody, for your own performance, but also, you know, the sports team in general, they would rather have players that keep on going rather than having to retrain someone all the time. Yeah, I, man, you, you spit nothing but facts and just bringing everything and I love it what's uh for 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 the people that's out there that's trying to uh, start their own business or start their own um you know wh whatever that you're trying to do what's the kind of like the best advice that you can give to the one that's trying to do that um first of all go for it you know don't wait why wait there's never going to be a perfect time to start anything so now is the perfect time I think that's the first advice. Once you get started, you're going to have to figure things out. But if you don't start, you'll never figure it out. And I think the second one is when it comes with any business that you start, uh, it's definitely a marathon. It's not uh, a short race. And so you've got to pace yourself, uh, manage your energy so that you can stay in it for the long, the long run. Um, and I know we all like to have big wins straight away, but the reality is it's more of a slow build, especially if you want your company to, uh, to grow in the, in the long term, um, rather than like just try to, uh, to catch some big wins straight away and then you're gonna burn yourself out. Um, so yeah, just uh, go for the marathon pace. <laughs> No, I think, again, I think that's a, a perfect response because um, it is about, you know, being a marathon. And I think the other thing you, that you're number one, where you said to just jump in, just do it. Um, mm -hmm. I think so much, so many times people get caught up in just the details mm -hmm. that's going on and wanting to uh, try to figure out everything before they get started, you know, try to make sure everything's perfectly aligned before we jump into the next thing. And sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta go for it. You just gotta- And, and just the gotta... reality is you don't know how to do it. Like nobody knows exactly how to do it. There's gonna be a lot of things that you learn and figure out as you go. And, uh, and that can be daunting, but you know, once you're in it, you don't have a choice, which is good. It drives you to like go to do those things and, and, and learn about it pretty quickly. But, but also you have to not be afraid to go outside of what you know, um, because the yeah, you, you are not gonna know how to do, uh, you know, legal incorporation and accounting and then the marketing and reaching out to people. And so uh, it's really rewarding because it's, it's very um, diverse in terms of skills, um, but you, you got to get started. <laughs> I totally agree with that. I like to end our first segment of our podcast with that because I think that's such a high note to let to, to end on. And then we're going to transition into our rapid fire round, which we call the game within the game segment. So it's just a game that we play. Uh, we always ask our guests, you know, little silly questions like either or uh, stuff just to, you know, have fun as we close out the interview. So my question for you is, are you ready to play? Oh, I'm ready. 
All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So the first question is um, chocolate chip cookies or oatmeal raisin? Oatmeal. Let's go. I'm a, I, I love oatmeal cookies, even though today I had a choice between choosing chocolate chip or oatmeal cookies and I chose a chocolate chip, but I love oatmeal raisin cookies though. Um, next question is um, TV shows or movies? Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, it really depends. Can I say documentary? Oh no, I will sound really you, old. No, uh, you can say you can say documentary. You won't be the first person that said that, so don't feel bad. Yeah. So you choosing documentary? Yep. Okay, that's that's still a good choice. Um, I, that's still a good choice. There's nothing wrong. I guess it'll go into the movies. True, or it can go into TV shows if it, it depended on if it's a you Both know ways. yeah yes so I I think you I think you solid choice smart choice <laughs> it's either it would be for me it's either TV show or documentary I'm not movies are too long anymore I can't can't handle movies I got you any particular TV shows that you're watching right now oh dear not really. I actually finished a um, series on the Australian Olympic swimming team ahead of Tokyo, which is called Head Above the Water, um, which for me really was uh, close to my heart because when I worked for the hotel company in Australia, we were sponsoring Swimming Australia and the swimmers. And it was at the time when Jan Thorpe had retired, just retired from swimming. And um, is is featured in the uh, in the show. He talks about his retirement. It's really nice to hear, like in his own words, and see some of the the swimmers that went to the Olympics with in Beijing are still swimming. It's quite incredible. Definitely want to go check out. Uh, head above the water. Yep, I wrote it down. So I'll be. I'm gonna check it out. That's for sure. Um, favorite. And I kind of I kind of asked this earlier, but it's kind of a slightly different. But favorite uh, sports moment that you have either seen or witnessed? Sorry, favorite sport what? Favorite sports moment that you've either seen or witnessed? Um, so, actually, the opening ceremony of Sydney Olympic Games, um, the athlete who was the last one carrying the torch. Uh, into the, the uh, stadium was the first Aboriginal athlete from Australia to actually carry the torch, and then she competed. Marion Jones, she competed. Um, no, it's not her. I forgot her name. She competed at the games. She had. She was awesome. That was quite exciting. Um, and then a a dive for Matthew from Matthew Mitchum. Uh, who was a an Australian diver at the now I'm blanking again um, at the Beijing Games. He he actually beat the Chinese in Beijing at the 10 meter uh, dive, um, and so I was there for that dive. That was amazing. So those are the things that I've seen in person. I wish I had seen things like from the old games that I never thought. Um, you know, some of the athletes uh, fighting for races, things like that, like Jesse Owens and um, some of those guys, but not in person. 
That's okay. Um, so you get a chance to take over any organization. Um, who would you choose to take over? And like revamp them? Is that the question? Yeah, you could do it, whatever you want with this organization. Topic. So, okay, this is gonna be a little bit controversial, very controversial. Uh, either I take over the NCAA and break it down <laughs> and get rid of it. Uh, or uh, the US Olympic Committee and really clean house and, uh, and have a completely different type of system where uh, maybe there's an athlete union actually running um, things. And I actually would go further to saying, do we, do we really need uh, an Olympic committee when we already have federations that uh, lead each of the sports? Um, was that pretty controversial? No, I don't think there's nothing controversial about that at all. You know, uh, but basically uh, anything that can uh, put the power in the hands of the athlete so they can run their sports. Yeah, I think that um, I think that's huge, especially when you're starting to see what happens with the you know the the NIL, the name, image, and likeness that's uh, taking place, um, especially with you know, everything that just kind of happened with the, the latest incident with Shikari Richardson, you know, and, and the runner, we just, we starting to just kind of pay attention more to a lot of different details right now. We're just starting to realize things that's going on. Uh, what are your thoughts on, because I mean, look, so before I get into that, you're not the first person that wants to take over the NCAA because I can't tell you how many guests that we had that wants to just take over the NCAA. So you're not the first one, but what are I mean, you- Let's uh, be honest, I don't really want to take it over because yeah. just the amount of politics uh, mm -hmm. is repulsive, um, but just figure out a way to like really change the system. Yeah, you just want to touch it. You just want to touch it and send it in the right direction. <laughs> yep. Yeah, what um, what are some of your thoughts about you know athletes um being able to like as similar to the NIL, you know what are um some of your your thoughts behind you know at being like gets getting the athletes paid per se, and just any any thoughts on that in general. This is kind of like off topic now. Listen, I'm, I think athletes should have been paid a long time ago. This is long overdue, uh, what's going on in sport, to be honest. The reality is when you're a college athlete, you are a professional athlete already. I don't know why we've been considering those athletes as amateurs. They train like the pros. Uh, they have, they have a, they, a lot of them receive a scholarship, so they are getting paid already. Uh, why not? Why limiting what they're getting paid just because the university has said so? Like they should really be able to benefit from that. The other side too is that other students are able to get jobs and work in college, and I I don't understand why we're limiting athletes. I feel like it's pretty discriminatory to actually say to an athlete, "Well, you can't get a job and receive money," yet the student down the road is doing tons of other things to pay for their you know, leaving costs. 
Um, so it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and I think the, the, the system was set up so that we could keep control of the athletes all the way until the end of college so that it could satisfy them going into college and then eventually going to the pro. Um, but yeah, this has to uh, go in a different way. And, and I think we would be surprised. I think some, peoples are, some people are worried that athletes are not going to go to school anymore and go through a professional career straight away. But I, one, I don't think it's necessarily the reality. I think athletes still value uh, education, at least for some of them. Um, and also we are in a virtual economy now. You can get your education virtually without being on campus. So why not take advantage of that and be able to train and you know, kind of pick and choose what kind of education you want for the specific career that you're pursuing. So I think it's a good thing and I'm really excited to see all the changes that are coming. Um, it's a, I believe in a few years, the whole industry will be completely different. I totally look. I'm on the same page with you on everything that you just said and, and mentioned. You make uh, absolutely total sense uh, about everything that you just that you just said. Because um, the whole system doesn't make sense um, from jump. You know, the um, the amateur athletes, you know, do train just as well as, if not even more, as some of the professional athletes, and. I, you know, they receive scholarship money, they should be able to, you know, receive uh, money as well that to go into their own hands. Uh, just out of my own curiosity, because I never really thought about this, do uh, athletes in other countries that are in college or anything, do they get paid at all or no? Um, so it really depends on the country and it really depends on the sport. Um, so for example, in France, they have, and I, and I believe it's similar in England and Canada, they have what they call like a national uh, elite athlete list with different levels. So as you progress in your career, you get ranked into that list um, and it gives you access to different benefits. So if you're in the highest level, you will receive a little bit of money, uh, kind of like a stipend from the government uh, but it will also give you access to things like uh, being able to take your exam at different times than the other people, being able to enter a specific program from an education perspective at university. Um, so they have like sort of transfer options that are available only to, only to athletes. And um, I believe once you get to this has been new, but once you get to a certain level on the list, you also, the years that you spend representing your country are counting towards your retirement, your pension. Um, so it's very minimal because it's based on either the stipend or the money that you make. So for little sport, I mean, this is nearly nothing, but it's still something. Um, in, in England, um, once you achieve some of those levels, uh, but those, those are pretty limited. Uh, and then it really, I think, you know, China athlete in China or in Russia, athletes get paid as soon as they start representing their country. Uh, but again, it depends on the score. Um, yeah, it's, but in France, for example, you must continue your education 
um, to receive that stipend uh, at least until high school and then in, um, in university. Uh, and you must pass a clear anti-doping test every three months to be able to receive the stipend. So there are like rules that regulate what you can and cannot do around it. Um, but a lot, of the a lot of the countries do not have uh, collegiate programs. So you end up training in a club and then you're trying to figure out how to fit your university around your training. Uh, so just, just quite different. Okay. Yeah, I I just I just thought about it because uh, I never really thought too much about it because um, I always thought of the NCAA going just because the fact that you know I'm here in the in the U.S. and I just don't have that international experience or knowledge to really you know know the lifestyle of how uh, just the kids or just athletes are brought up in different countries. Yeah, and and also often they have like centralized training facilities, kind of like what you would have at a university. In France, we have a centralized national training center in Paris where all of the sport train. And then there's one in Spain, in Barcelona. They also have a national training center. In China, it's a little different because they have training center by regions. So all of the athletes from that region will train in that facility, but they leave, train, and, and study in those facilities just like in college. So that kind of, rep that's how they reproduce a bit of the American system. Thank you for educating me. <laughs> it's fascinating. If you ever had the, uh, if you guys have ever had the opportunity to like play overseas, um, that it's quite interesting to see how things are, are done. Yeah, I can, like I said, I can only, only imagine. Um, what was, or what is um, one of your favorite countries to live in? Ah, that's a hard one. So um, I lived in France, Thailand, Australia, England, and the US. Um, and I like to say I lived in New York and I lived in San Francisco and I lived in LA and those are two like different countries as well. Um, but I think Australia, we, we really liked um, it's uh, very friendly. The weather's fantastic. So I, I enjoyed living in Australia. It was a little far from my family, and that's why I ended up um, leaving. But yeah, that's probably would be my top pick. I've heard many great things about Australia, and I had kind of, I kind of had a family member. Um, they did a, uh, they went to Australia to study. And uh, I, don't, I don't think he's came back since. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this and this has been going on probably about 10, 15 years. So uh, yeah, once he's left, I don't, I don't think he came back, at least to my knowledge. So yeah, Australia is fantastic. Um, so I, I lived in Sydney um, actually after the game. So I ended up competing in the games and five years later returning and um, I guess I returned before because I liked it when we went to the games um, and I liked it even more when we started living there. Um, it's beautiful, you know, you have a city on the water, you know, similar to San Diego or Miami or, or LA where everything revolves around the water, but the beaches are amazing. It's so clean. The ocean is, is absolutely spotless. Um, and the Australian are super friendly. 
um, and they love their sport. I sport all day long, um, so that's kind of fun. And uh, believe it or not, the food is amazing. And for me, that was the biggest surprise. I, I didn't know about it. Um, they have a lot of fusion food. They have, I think Sydney has like over 40% of um, Asian and then lots of uh, different culture that mix together. So the food is incredible because people have, ex you know, they've experimented and mixed up all sorts of food um, and the produce is, is fantastic. So yeah, the food scene, is a surprise when it comes to Australia. <laughs> How does the food compare from the different countries that you've been to compared to the US? Um, well, so I live in LA. So I think the food here is pretty similar to what we had in Australia. It's very multicultural. We have access to just produce from all over the place which is fantastic and fresh product. Uh, I mean, fruits and veg from central California and Mexico, and it's really nice. So I really enjoy the, like the freshness of everything we get here. Um, I miss the Asian food from living in Asia, um, but that's, you know, my personal, my personal taste. There's um, nothing wrong with your own personal taste. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, Mary, can you um, one last final question for you? Can you go ahead and tell the audience where um, people can follow you at to kind of follow your career and, and um, to just be able to just follow along to see what you're doing? So I think um, I'm terrible with social media, just full disclosure. <laughs> so if you want to hear a little bit about what I do, uh, definitely follow Athletes All either on, on LinkedIn or um, Instagram. Uh, and then you can find me on Instagram as well, but I, I, I don't post very much. Um, you'll just see my different travel and sports activity, and that's basically it. <laughs> but yeah, just uh, follow at Athlete Soul, and um, if you're interested in any, any assistance on that space, um, I'm here to help. Thank you, uh, Marion, for that. Uh, for the audience and listeners is out there and the subscribers, uh, we'd like to thank everyone that has, um, you know, that has liked, rate, sub and subscribed um, to the podcast thus far. Um, we just thank you for all of our guest times that uh, that we've had on. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about capturing the game, you can follow us at capturing underscore the underscore game underscore pod. Um, you can also follow us on, on Twitter at uh, CTG podcast, underscore podcast, and also on YouTube at Capturing the Game podcast. Uh, Marion, thank you for this fabulous interview. And just thank you for the insight that you have on everything. You have a wealth of knowledge and it is much appreciated that you just came on our podcast and shared that with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And, and uh, yeah, it was a great conversation and appreciate it very much. Thank you. No problem.